Ed. Well, um, as somebody pointed out uh, in the NQAT pod Instagram DMs, can't really think of a time this season where uh, we've had to record a show after two losses on the bounce. Now, that's partly because for a lot of the season we did a show after every game, uh, two shows a week, so that's partly why. But also, you know, I just haven't lost two games on the bounce very often this season, but no. through a combination of uh, rotation and exhaustion and fixture congestion, and in other words, the end with Shun, um, Man United uh, lost to Leicester and Liverpool. No, not since the, the first, week. What, first, what, games five and six of... The Premier League, did United lose two in a row, I think? So lost three of the first six and then lost to Sheffield United in December, mm-hmm. January. And that's it in the league until these two. Yeah. And then there were probably two losses with a league and a Euro game somewhere, oh, maybe. Yeah, Whatever. right. Yeah. Whatever. Maybe. Very, very weird games, these two, for different, yeah. for different reasons. I mean, Leicester, hard to... Yeah, hard to have any analysis about that one. United were well beaten, even though it was two one. Didn't create anything really apart from Mason's goal, which was you know nice pass inside by Ahmad and brilliantly finished by Mason. So he he led the line. He was the number nine there. You know, learning from uh, Edison, who's staying on for another year, and and it was probably his best game at number nine. I thought so. He was okay, but the rest of it, it was like it's hot. Yeah, a mix of old guys and young guys, wasn't it? Uh, I like the fact that that was given as the first goal assisted and scored by assisted by a teenager and scored by a teenager in Premier League history. And it's like, I mean, assist does a lot of heavy lifting. As as sure. um, JJ Ball pointed out on the TIFO podcast, uh, Mason Greenwood beat five players to score that goal. I mean, he didn't dribble past five players, but he did take five players out of the game in total. Uh, but Ahmad did pass the ball to him, so there we go. Um, Mason Greenwood, United's top scoring... Uh, teenager ever which I, I I don't know if we talked about that last week but I just find that statistic absolutely mind-blowing yes um, top well top goal scoring teenager in the Premier League is that overall in uh, yeah uh, say, is that better than George much Best? less mind-blowing yeah mm. right there you go I, I actually that's, don't know the answer I'm, I'm putting it out there because I suspect he's not I know you know football only started in 1992 for certain folks um but anyway, yeah, whatever. It's a it's a great number for Mason, and he's having a really good second half of the season. Hard first half, yep. but he's really coming strong now, and um, it's uh, it's looking good for the Europa. I mean, be interesting Europa final. Who's going to make that front four? Because uh, I, I suspect Mason's going to be on the bench. He shouldn't be. He absolutely, I mean, he absolutely shouldn't be. On form, he should be in the tight side ahead of Rashford, if assuming that um, he plays McFred, which I actually don't think is quite the foregone conclusion it has been for a long period of time because I have to confess that I didn't see uh, any of the Leicester game apart from the Mason Greenwood goal. I haven't even seen Leicester's goals because I couldn't face it because um, I was working while that was on. And then I barely finished work when the Liverpool game kicked off and I didn't have time to get ready to to see that game. But I did see quite a lot of the second half of that. Uh, and oh my God, Fred, you've done it again. Like the he went he did the full Fred the full give the ball to the other team so they can score a goal. He's done that I think three full times this season. He's created. 
I mean, I, I'm sure that his XG created directly for opposition is probably higher than his XG directly created for Man United. Oh, well, I mean, sure. I, I mean, I guess it's a thing not recorded. So error right. leading to goal, but it has to be direct and um, not a couple of phases afterwards. But yeah, look, it was... Um, the the Leicester the Leicester game it's as I said hard to do much analysis of that one just because you know ten changes uh, so such a weird lineup no one really did themselves any major favors some pretty poor defending for the Leicester goal or very good first Leicester goal then Liverpool every single one of them the four Liverpool goals is a catastrophic error every single one yeah and yeah. you know and I saw a lot of commentary afterwards about you know how it wouldn't have been like this with Harry Maguire in the side but none of them were actually the central defenders we spent a season banging on about how bad United central defenders are and and it wasn't on the central defenders I mean I'm not that I'm I'm saying that Lindelof and Bailly had awesome games or anything because actually I thought sort of Bailly was pretty messy in the first first phase of that game um but uh, like, you know, what do we get? Liverpool's first goal, Wan-Bissaka didn't step out. Really simple, that one. Uh, and and uh, I don't I don't know I don't know what commentary you had uh, over there, but um, for me, they were going on about what a ball it was. But it's like, that's just one to the back stick. It's really simple def- to defend that one. So, you know, big mistake there. Second one, Pogba gives away the stupid free kick. Just didn't need to. Looked like he was frustrated and just chops the guy down. Um, and then doesn't track him it's his zone uh, and doesn't track absolutely. him absolutely and then the third one you one you were talking about fred like the straight ball back how many times has he done that just the straight ball back puts someone in trouble and it's just because he's he's just so you know he just wants to get rid of the ball as soon as possible because he's just not comfortable he's the least technical brazilian i've ever seen and that includes cleberson uh, and I, it's just yeah it was so bad um, and then Shaw lost the ball. It was uncharacteristic for him. He tries to dribble out, gets himself in trouble when he probably should have launched it. And then Matic gives away a really soft ball. You could just see it coming as well with Matic. He's like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm just going to give it away. Uh, and that's the break. Uh, and then Dean Henderson, for some reason, steps miles over to his left and just like, <laughs> put it in there. And Mo Salah was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> They were saying on the, I, I can't remember, on some football podcast I listened to, um, might have been Tifo again, actually, the, um, that for a second it looked like he's doing something really clever. Like, oh, is he trying to show him the space so he can then make a great... No, oh, so that's, this is just a goal. I mean, listen, even if he'd got his angle spot on, Mo Salah's pretty good forward, isn't he? So, you know, you, you're expecting a goal one way or another, but don't give him the... Don't give him the entirety of the goal to aim at. I mean, United went 1-0 up and um, then 2-1 down and then 2-all. Is that right? No, it was, they were 3-1 down, weren't they? Yeah. Um, they got it back to the 3-2 and and really did look on top for a period of time, looked dangerous, thought something might happen. Uh, there was the moment where Greenwood um, kind of really th- th- like a very dangerous kind of goalmouth scrambly type thing and the, the Liverpool defender cleared the ball off the line. Um but to try and do any kind of reasonable analysis about these two games feels really hard. I mean, we had a, just a very brief conversation about it before and then sort of decided to save it for to have the conversation uh, on the show. But um, for me, like, obviously, it's bad that United lose. There's, I mean, it's a shame that we couldn't put a dent in Liverpool's title chances. But, you know, they're not title, um, Champions League qualification chances. We did by letting Leicester win. We did half the job, but didn't didn't follow it up. 
I mean, I, I sort of we'll talk a little bit about protests and stuff. I mean, I kind of slightly jokingly predicted that the game wouldn't go ahead, mostly to get out of making the prediction that I kind of felt like I would have had to if I was being honest, which is a Liverpool win because it they needed it more than United need it. And when you've got two teams who are reasonably well matched across the board, sort of both teams with strengths and weaknesses, in the end, it makes a massive difference if you desperately need the win or if you can if you know you can coast. Look, that that would explain the difference in the intensity. Liverpool were more intense, I and mean, certainly with the pressing, which United just couldn't cope with. I mean, it doesn't really matter who's in the in the side for United. We just cannot cope with the press. I mean, I I saw some analysis um of of Harry Maguire's um passing. But it, whether it's central defenders or especially the double pivot in midfield, just not comfortable in possession. Just you know, trying to play out for the back, whether it's from the keeper and the short kick or or in the transition, it just gets us in trouble so often. And and that was the thing that caused a lot of trouble for United in terms of the flow of the game against Liverpool. So there's certainly some intensity there. Um, United's um, defensive actions per. Uh, phase of play or whatever it's called um, has been dropping off in recent weeks and that's a good indication that they're knackered uh, and you know even with the 10 changes it's just it's just been back to back to back there's there hasn't been a a full week off hard well once this season right so um yeah it's, yeah they're certainly tired uh, and that that showed in that game in terms of its intensity but the, the biggest difference i mean if united had just like conceded possession and defended well might have got something out of this game. But as it was, just horrendous, horrendous defensive errors. I and mean, I think we're yeah. at um I think we're at forty two goals conceded now. We'll see where we get to by the end of the season, but it's gonna be one of the worst in the last decade, basically. <laughs> you you're so annoyed. You're like so annoyed after You hate this analysis. I know. I mean and no, it's no, freaky no, no. because it's I... six against Tottenham and four against Liverpool, but it, like No, I, I only hate it because we had a massive discussion about it last week. Um, with a kind of interesting point counterpoint, and then they conceded six goals since then, and now all my arguments are totally moot. Because um, I mean, your arguments they, they... your arguments weren't bad. I mean, they, 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 look, they, they weren't bad in terms of the, like the relative performance of that stage. I, I just think United make too many errors, and a, a third of the third of the goals United have conceded in the Premier League this season are for, from set pieces. I mean, that's just it's just the basics there. Man-to-man or zonal or a hybrid of the two, but who is picking up who? And two goals this week, uh, Pogba and who was the other one? Rashford, I think, just didn't pick up their dudes at the back post. It's so basic. You know, and, and in the game against Liverpool, uh, Solskjaer made two substitutions at a Liverpool corner. I mean, man, <laughs> like mm. I, maybe it's just like a trope that's totally out of date and there's no data to support this. But the idea that you don't um, change who's going to be marking who at the set piece and you get you get through the set piece and then make the change has been long established. Uh, yes, I've my whole life. That's always been that's like a fact. As I say, it may, it may not, not be supported at all, but <laughs> yeah. I, it also I, it kind of makes intuitive sense, doesn't it? If you, yeah, everyone seems, knows who's picking up everyone and, and like yeah. at a free kick, they then don't pick anyone up. So anyway, so like a lot of that feels like it needs to be worked on, but also a lot of it are individual errors all the time, whether it's anyone in that back six. Well, it's the central defenders and McFred that make a lot of those individual errors. And and that feels like that's the thing. I don't know whether it can be coached better 
Solskjaer having been working with these guys for two years now. But if you've got Lindelof, Maguire, Fred and McTominay starting huge numbers of games next season, something's gone really wrong this summer. Like, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. It might well happen, but it means that we've got the summer wrong because that is the thing that has to change in the personnel to make United get closer. Because um, let's let's have a little conversation about, um, about Maguire. So obviously, I mean, inevitably, loads of the commentary about United's defensive sloppiness in this game um, was focused around... Uh, the absence of Harry Maguire and how much United missed Maguire. And I think, having criticised Maguire plenty on this show, uh, this season, I think there's a very substantial amount of that which is perfectly accurate. And actually, he is clearly an organiser and his presence does make a difference. But the idea that United don't make calamitous defensive errors when Harry Maguire's in the side or aren't absolutely shocking from set pieces. The statistic you just mentioned, most of those games, because Harry Maguire plays, this is the first game he's missed in the Premier League since he signed, which is impressive in lots of ways and like kind of amazing and shouldn't be a negative about Maguire by any stretch of the imagination because having a central defender who plays all the time is great. Um, I, I think uh, it's... A bit too easy to say United's defence was terrible because Maguire wasn't there. Although part of what happened was United's defence was terrible because Maguire wasn't there. Not least of which because he plays every game, right? So it's a bit like the change from... We saw it when when the keeper changed from De Gea to Henderson. We saw the, the way the defence sort of thought about the game had to slightly change because they're so used to dropping deep to cover up for the fact that De Gea never comes off his line. And they've actually started to... Um, this is a messy sentence, but they've started to stop doing that. They're, they're doing that less now. Um, and so I, I, I do think there's... Some of it was about the fact that this very kind of solid partnership, not um, not solid in quality, but solid in consistency of uh, appearance, uh, was changed. And so there was a kind of defence, by which I include McFred, that kind of defensive network was disrupted by that. I do think that's that's fair, albeit Maguire's a mess a lot of the time too. Yeah, sure, yes, yes. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, yeah, there's probably, look, it's probably fair though, Analyze each of the four goals, and it's hard to it's hard to say that um, Maguire, Maguire being in there would have stopped it. Maybe maybe at the free kick, maybe he'd have maybe he'd done better there. Um, Henderson, we should mention at all uh, too, because one bounced off his chest, and the other he got in himself horribly in the wrong position. You know, United are going to ask themselves a question about goalkeepers this summer. Romero's off, Grant is off, I think. Um, so that's freeing up some space on the wage bill. Um, I assume Pereira will be leaving too because he's 24 and he's out of contract. Um, they are looking for a third goalkeeper. A lot of talk about Sam Johnston coming from uh, West Brom, as long as West Brom don't ask too much money or, you know, Tom Heaton maybe. Wow. So, as Sam a third, Johnson's not old though. He's not old. It seems unlikely that they'll spend like 20 million on a third choice keeper. Um, this is for um, the it third seems spot. That why would why would why would he take that gig? Like he can get a better gig than that. He's a good keeper. Yeah. He's not like elite, but he's better than a third. He's not Scott Carson, is he? No. Um, so yeah, play for City this week. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But but the the number one and the number two are, are a problem. One Henderson is showing some inexperience at times. I think it's fair to say that he's got many qualities, but he's not perfect. The uh, hair we know he's made. Um, Quite a lot of mistakes. I mean, the first time um, I, I didn't, I've been going through our archive, um, uh, cleaning it up for various reasons. Uh, first time I mentioned it in a headline uh, was at the World Cup in Russia, but I'm sure he was making mistakes 
before that. So it's, you know, it's a long decline with the hair. We know the problems there. And then then the other one's the money, you know, this is this is nearly four hundred grand a week worth of of um wage bill. And that's it's a hell of a lot. It makes a difference in terms of, you know, um yeah, what what United do and, and also whether United can offload the hair, because otherwise we're gonna have this sort of issue next season. I mean it's not the the biggest problem. The biggest problem is pacing central defence and a proper central defensive midfielder but you know we talked about oh, that is it? Is we've it? talked about that so often it's so <laughs> bloody obvious as you say but that's not fixed by september or august um something has gone catastrophically wrong which of course we know quite probably will happen and, and united will spend 200 million on harry kane because the glazers think that will stop the protests yes absolutely um the uh they're not i don't yeah, I, do that, tongue firmly in cheek, you know. One, yeah, <laughs> I was just, I was just thinking about it. It's like, no, they're not, they're not going to do that. Not now they've resigned Cavani. That would be genuinely out of, out of their tree. Um, the, uh, the, the Henderson de Hair thing is fascinating, and and it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like a new manager in a way, where a lot of, uh, when I say a new manager, I mean either a kind of relative, like Ole, like a relatively inexperienced manager, or Arteta at Arsenal. And you know they're going to make mistakes. You know they've been sort of fundamentally overpromoted in the sense that they've they've never managed a a, a club uh, on the scale that they're currently managing. And the question just is is how much overpromoted are they? Is there do, are you seeing enough? Moyes' first season, like it was so evident that it didn't matter what was to come. It was always it could only go one way. Um, a young goalkeeper's like that. It's about because young goalkeepers make mistakes. I mean, you mentioned that's the first time um, we we pointed out a De Gea error, but he made lots of mistakes when he started at the club. He was he was yeah. kind of extremely shaky, and you know, and and uh, Fergie put Anders Lindegaard in goal a lot. Um, so uh, you know, it's it's. Um, Henderson having made a number of mistakes, I don't think is like, oh, that means United need to get a new goalkeeper. I know you're not saying that. I'm just saying lots of people are saying that. Um, and I just don't think we know yet. But that is a that is an ex- like with a manager, that is a high risk gamble. Very much. It? Yeah, very much, because it can it you know, a a De Gea is best is was well, what was it, seven or eight points? He won for United mm. in one of the his perhaps his best season. So, um, you know, it's it's a big decision, but there are bigger problems um, or challenges mm. for the club to resolve in the summer. A summer that may well be Edward Wood not in charge and not leading the uh, the recruitment drive. A uh, big one for Murtar, the new director of football, I guess, to to make sure that recruitment happens. Mm. Um, United's goals were all nice this week. It's got a lot of nice goals. Now, my kind of feeling about this is that these games kind of don't matter because because fourth's locked up. If we lose against Fulham and we lose against Wolves, I might feel differently about that. But I think given the three games in five days or six days or whatever it was, um, no, it was Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, right? So given a Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday schedule, to win one of those three, I think is 
is decent. And to win the first one, so you guarantee Champions League football, I think is decent. And um, the Leicester game, they had to do the massive rotation because that was the one where the exhaustion really would have killed them given that they played on the Sunday. And then the just the combination of intensity and concentration. Because intensity includes concentration, right? It's not just physical intensity. And concentration was really the missing ingredient against Liverpool. Maybe they'll focus their minds. They've, they've had, you know, they'll have had Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, four full days in between games. Absolute luxury. Um, and then they play Tuesday, Sunday, Wednesday, which is the a schedule they're much more used to. So, you know, I, I think so long as we beat Fulham then, you know... Yeah, I mean, that, that's week off. Fulham, Fulham will guarantee second. And I, look, I do think... I know I know. maybe it doesn't matter and, like, for the club's finances and stuff like that. It's like just getting in the top four. That's the trophy, Arsene Wenger trophy, getting in the top four. But United have been the best of the rest for most of the season. There's also a benchmark against last season, finished with 66 points last season. Two wins against Fulham and... Uh, Wolves would take us to seventy six points. Ten. Uh, can po- we just can we just say take two points off that Ed because we're going to draw with Wolverhampton Wanderers yeah, because yeah, it's well. Wolverhampton Wanderers. <laughs> yes. Uh, look, uh, two two games that doesn't mean much for anyone, I suppose. So we'll see what happens and and whether there's a uh, some more rotation against Wolves because there could be. So F- Fulham victory guarantee second, and then he's um, he's got some. Um, flexibility but losing also might become a habit lost against Roma lost against Leicester lost against Liverpool going to these next two losing then then it might be an issue in the final look um I think United didn't United lose four of the last five or something like that before the 2017 Europa final uh, when he was he just kind of gave up on the league and gambled everything on winning the Europa League which in the end turned out all right. and But I, I kind of suspect this Villarreal side are better than that Ajax side, who weren't the polished full Ajax you know, team that got to the semi-final sort of a couple of years later. So um, very, very young, uh, very young Ajax side with um, Delight, Dor De Ligt and, and Davinson Sanchez, you know, 18 and 19 in the central defence. And you know, in that one-off game, Mourinho sent Marouane Fellaini you know, sort of up front to bully those two and played it long or game, very ugly final. Um, yeah. So so that kind of gamble works. And I it I would hate to be going into this game having lost four or five games uh, and you kind of, because it, it could happen. Like you, I, I know, but like it's the, 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 <laughs> the assumption of the negative there is very heavy because we lost to Leicester. I mean, the Roma game was a complete freak game um, and he took both fullbacks off at half time which was when it really started to go wrong uh, Leicester and Liverpool are two of the better sides in the league Fulham and Wolves are not yes so I'm not saying we are going to win both of these games in fact I think we're going to win one of them and draw one of them but I don't necessarily think it's just because the last three games have been like they are that means we're going into Villarreal or oh, oh we're never going to beat these because we've uh, we've you it's know not, taken it's not really what I'm gas. saying but you know like I know five five percent the way can make a big difference, can it? So yeah, and 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 next week we'll have this conversation, and it all have gone one of two ways. Yeah. And I think if we lose both of these, I think these games do actually matter a little bit more than the Leicester and Liverpool games. I, I think those games 
I think it was a massive, massive, massive ask for United to win either of those games and a ridiculous ask to expect them to win both, sure. given the nature of the fixtures and the quality of the opposition, basically. So, And, and of course, uh, the bigger downside is that we've uh, contributed um, uh, heartily to Liverpool maybe getting back into the Champions League, uh, including so a ridiculous 95th-minute goal against West Brom today. I guess we'll talk about that more in more detail in the backers' content. But a goalkeeping powering, goalkeeper powering in a header five minutes into injury time after West Brom had had a perfectly good goal chalked off as well. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll get back to that in the season review and see whether um, you know, our uh, our joy at Liverpool's demise this season was somewhat um, you know early. <laughs> I mean, we'll see, right? Because uh, there's there's games left. I mean, I know I know that um, City have got to play. I mean, Chelsea have got to play City uh, on the last day of the season, which is is going to be massive. But that game is going to be, um, and that can't be true. No, they no, just no. Played them. No, no, no. They play they play Leicester at home. They and play then they Leicester play this week. Yeah, then Villa. Ah, I mean, what we really that... need is Leicester to win that game. Yeah, and then Chelsea to beat Villa, and then Liverpool will be out the Champions League. So. <laughs> No matter what they do, uh, Liverpool are Liverpool are only a point behind Chelsea with the same number of games, right? So if Leicester win, then Liverpool would be two points oh, ahead of Chelsea. I, I, somehow I yeah. thought Chelsea had more more space. Oh. No, and Liverpool are playing Burnley and Palace. No, I didn't realise that Leicester were playing Chelsea. That's disastrous. What are we doing? Absolutely shocking. Um, yeah, now I take it all back. We should have won that game. Terrible, terrible behaviour. Um, Anyway, uh, we'll talk about Leicester and Chelsea playing each other on the backers' content too, obviously, because their FA Cup was was quite the scenes. Um, uh, talking of quite the scenes, outside of Old Trafford before this game and during it, there were uh, significant protests. The attempt to uh, stop the game, and this is the worst case scenario, really, that the game went ahead and United lost. That's both both of those things are sort of fundamentally bad in a way. I think um, the uh, the 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 attempts to. I thought it was, a, it was always going to be a massive long shot that there was going to be any chance that they would have successfully stopped this game given that they'd done that before and the amount of kind of alert that the authorities would be on would have been so high. We saw the ridiculous extent to which they've um, fortressitized Old Trafford. They've militarized <laughs> they, Old better, Trafford. Better, yeah. Um, better, an actual word. Huge, <laughs> huge steel walls and barricades, uh, like just so much. You know, our home form's been terrible this season. So we may have said, you know, at some point, God, I've got to make Old Trafford a fortress again. Not literally, not literally. That's a metaphor. They've really got that wrong. I mean, you know, you, I saw you put on um, on social media, uh, re- this is rebuilding trust, is it? And it's like, yeah, they're not rebuilding trust. They're rebuilding fortifications. It's Apparently ugly. it's cost United over a million pounds for the extra security operation for these last few games of the season i, I don't even know uh, are fans definitely coming back for that fulham game because uh well the ballots happened and right there's so loads I, of people rowing with each other about whether you're supposed to go which is nature is healing oh, of course yeah uh yeah so well that'll be fun so there will there will be ten thousand united fans there uh, uh will the ballot be fixed to make sure they're not the uh the, the type that might get on the pitch and chain themselves to the goal. <laughs> Anyone with FC United shares is not getting <laughs> is not getting lucky in that ballot, are they? Um, 
the uh, Talk, talking to which the, um, the the amount that like the security operation was was uh, all smoke and mirrors. Apart from the big steel walls, they had um, fake buses, like yeah. fake Liverpool United buses going around town, and then uh, sort of blacked out non non branded buses actually carrying the the players. Uh, they had uh, and and also smoke and mirrors. They had the United spokesperson giving an interview. I don't know whether you've seen this one. Two minutes of the biggest pile of steaming horse. <laughs> Every single word, Charlie Brooks, that came out of his mouth was a lie. Like every single one, utter bullshit. Uh, it started with the owners really care about this club. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please, Ed. I just wanted to just very briefly point out. It's very funny that the direct they're talking about building trust with rebuilding trust with the fans. You'd think that a single United fan might have been able to name the director of communications if there was any trust with the bit that pre-existed. This is the first time I've ever seen or heard of this game. And I don't know if you know this, Ed, but I follow Manchester United <laughs> yeah, quite know, closely for professional reasons. Semi-professional reasons. Um, this, is, this is definitely semi-pro level, isn't it? I, I mean, um, look, look, the guy's had a good career. He spent years at uh, night in Oregon at HQ there. He's... Uh, you know, I, I don't know whether he's a United fan or not, but for some reason he's taken the job at, at United and just resign, mate. You know, have some dignity, uh, and just you don't need it. You can get a job anywhere. You'll 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 be alright. Your career will be okay. You don't need to embarrass yourself like this. But isn't corporate communications mostly about lying to people about what the corporation's intentions are? Isn't that generally the the, the vibe? I don't think so, actually. I, I mean, I think actually there's, you know, especially in the last few years, there's been, you know, a, a lot of effort um, by big corporations to try and be more authentic. Now, some of it comes out really fake. Um, it's so but, funny, isn't it? But, but, it's such but a, a funny concept. Yeah, but I mean, I think there is a feeling that, especially among uh, younger folks, that that does matter. It does yeah. And people can see through the bullshit. We're all pretty attuned to to media. You know, we consume a lot of it and we can we can smell through the crap. Smell through the yeah. crap. See through the whatever the you know. Whatever. It's just it was just so bad. It was just so bad. I mean it was it was chemical alley going, look, there's nothing to see here. Yeah, it's it's really out of order. And also out of order is um that making that poor poodle be in front of the bus in a rickshaw for nothing. Like, just... By the way, like, if you haven't followed this story closely, that sentence is going to sound like I've suddenly had a stroke mid-episode, but that was actually a thing that happened. Um, uh, yeah, while while footage was being taken by journalists of um, a fake Liverpool bus being uh, penned in by parked cars, uh, suddenly this lad and his partner presumably rolls along in a bike with a rickshaw in the front with a little dog in the front of it which was by far the best moment of the entire evening um as far as i was concerned it was um i mean it was a shame that these protests didn't uh didn't achieve the the task of um of of getting the game off but there was a decent attendance and there's clearly going to be i mean the next time there's another big organized protest which i'm sure won't be very long um, you know, the next time they play, well, I guess it'll be next season, but the next time they play a game at Old Trafford in the daytime, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a very significant uh, protest again. 
We'll see. I mean, in the past, it's it's always fizzled out for one reason or yeah. another. And and I think the fact that there's trial balloon stories um, floating around sports pages that United are going to try and get some kind of trophy signing um, may well be the, the thing that has flipped. I mean, hey, if nothing, I suppose, um, and, you know, I hope you can hear the sarcasm in my voice here, um, maybe it will change the Glazers' plans this summer because I was pretty certain after the Super League collapse that the the plan was, and, and like there wasn't any plan to spend money before that, that there would have been a plan to spend nothing, basically, because um, mm. their golden egg had been snatched away. Now, well, maybe, may, in- now maybe they feel like they've got to buy off supporters. That's what happened in 2010, isn't it? The, the protests in 2010 essentially made them not take a dividend out that year. So, you know, it's had these like little short-term impacts. But I, I just, the idea that Joel Glazer's going around claiming, you know, the director of communications is saying this on his behalf, that they care about the club. I mean, I think there is an argument to say that out of all the Glazer family, Joel Glazer is at least the one who knows Bruno Fernandez's name. But like the idea that this group of owners, I mean, you talk about not knowing their names. I don't even know the name of, um, you know, the third brother and the sister. I don't know their names. Joel I, it, Avram. Avram who, yeah. by the way, um, we're we're committed to rebuilding trust with the fans, but I won't talk to anyone. <laughs> I'll run away from yeah. reporters. Um, Darcy, Edwards, Brian, the six of them. Joel, oh, okay. Avram, Edward, Edward. I think I'm right in that saying. Brian, <laughs> Darcy. Yeah, can't remember them all. Good night, John boy. I don't know. They're not the Waltons. They're very non-Waltony in in ethics. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's just all just gross lies and nonsense it's really upsetting and here we go we have some tangible evidence that it's all just gross lies and nonsense because maybe the single best hire at man united between this person and bruno fernandez for single best incoming in the last you know three or four years casey stoney's leaving now if you are running your team so badly that you chase off uh, you know, the, a generational talent, clearly. Someone who's achieved absolutely remarkable things already. You know, who's got United well, well, well ahead of schedule in terms of the development of the women's team. They wouldn't have been expecting to push for a Champions League place this season. I know it's dropped off in the second half of the season, but um, maybe that's not such a surprise when you hear how shoddily the club appear to have behaved when it comes to... Um, uh, the conditions provided for the women's team for in terms yeah. of training and things like that. So Casey Stoney signed out today with a defeat in the FA Cup, women's FA Cup fifth round to Leicester. A bit of a shock, that one. Obviously, United are superior normally to the Leicester women's side. Um, it has been a, a bit of a downhill slide in the second half, you know, precipitated by a lot of injuries. Kristen Press, um, Tobin Heath, Leah Galton, you know, probably the three best players. Um, all out for significant parts of the the second half of the season, you know. And and Casey Stoney will go away, um, leave the club, and we will talk about why she appears to be leaving the club. But she will leave the club having, you know, built this this side from scratch and and produced a a very good side, best of the rest after City, Chelsea, and Arsenal. And that's you know sort of no mean three in three years. She's learnt on the job as well. You know, there has has been criticism of her performance as a manager. She's young. She's trying to manage a thin squad with a lot of injuries and up against um, three sort of giants of the women's game. Uh, and so I think a lot of that is understandable and, 
and had to do it on a on a slim budget. And now it we it appears, and some of these stories appeared before, but we've had a lot of details now. Obviously, I assume coming out of the the Stony Camp about just how bad the conditions were for for the women's team. You know, this is supposedly one of the biggest clubs in the world making their and and caveats for covid reasons but making their one of their leading teams changing port cabins with no toilets on a training facility which appears to have been prioritized after the men's team the men's under 23s and the men's under 18s and they then the women's team get the scraps i mean it's everything that um, many of the leading players in the women's game have been campaigning against, you know, the poor treatment, uh, you know, relative poor treatment of the women's game uh, and the penny-pinching funding that appears to be going um, into this from the club. You know, I guess shocked, not shocked. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. at every level of this club, the Glazers have neglected it, neglected the men's team or neglected to put in the, the right kind of structures to be successful neglected Old Trafford, neglected Carrington. The only thing they neglected the women's team, neglected the academy for a long time until very recently. Uh, yeah. The only thing they didn't neglect was to take dividends out every year and make sure they get sponsors. But even there, I mean, scraping the bottle of the barrel, we're in Z-list sponsors now. So, yeah. uh, and Z-list sponsors that are running away. Anyway, Absolutely God, it's, it's just and- disgusting, all of the stories, honestly. Yeah, this one this one is particularly offensive in a way because um, so much PR went into the you know oh oh look at us aren't we right on and doing the right thing by the women's team and the women are all at the kit launch and it's you know equal footing and all that kind of stuff and they really tried to sell that story but they didn't back that story up with action and and the almost this I even hate saying this because it shouldn't be this way. Um, but it would be such a cheap win as well. You could get this win accurately, do this right at such for such low impact on the bottom line because the numbers are minuscule compared to what you would have to do to move the needle in the men's game. So really, and and you know, you said Casey Stoney's had some criticism, and she has, but um, she's had a lot more praise than she's had criticism hasn't she yeah. and rightly so and and the 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 if it's true that she's walking away because of the way united are treating their women's team that is that is your chickens coming right home to roost isn't it that's uh, you know that's something that no men's team manager for all uh, jose Mourinho's devoted acolytes that believe that his actions were a, a long form protest against the glazer ownership um None of the men's team managers have ever had the kind of bottle to say we're walking away because uh, the the you know because well the v- very much true. opposite to that very much opposite to that yeah, exactly. I mean Mourinho moaned about not getting the money he wanted but then then he didn't he even, does that everywhere he does that everywhere and then he just stunk the place out so um, <laughs> you know if, if it was a protest by Mourinho it was a dirty protest. <laughs> yeah, which is a- anyway. Look, the, the bottom line the is show. yeah. The, I, Look, the the fact that these stories have come out very soon after it, it was announced that Casey Stoney is leaving with the sort of um, announcement on United.com um, and then she hasn't turned around immediately and denied any of this. I, I think yeah. I think there's a lot, you know, there's there's so much smoke here. We can assume there's some fire. Uh, and as I said, the, some of these stories did come out before about the, the standards. And, and look, there are the only caveat 
they moved away from the cliff as their training base because covid and bubbles and stuff like that but then to to not even put to be some money to into put it. some money into getting the right facility for them Jesus exactly. Christ. Especially, especially, and, and again, this is what I was kind of just saying, though, but this is the bit I hate saying, especially given the optics. Like, it, you do that to the under-23s and people go, oh, God, you cheapskates, that's not much good. But you do that to the women's team and you're undermining the whole idea that you care in any way about this stuff that people should actually care about because women's football is extraordinarily important. Like, this is this is the thing. It's not... Like, its existence at a high level matters very, very deeply to lots and lots of people, including every single little girl watching Man United. Like, this is it's such an obvious point, but that's 50% of the children watching Man United getting the message that, like, oh, well, even... I mean, for years they did, got the message that there's no such thing as growing up and playing for Man United, which was even more despicable. But now it's like, even if you do grow up, beat the odds, play for Man United, you're going to change in a porter cabin when the men's team... Uh, COVID or no COVID, the men's team weren't changing any porter cabins, were they? You know, so... Yeah, anyway. Right. Shame. Real shame. Yeah. And and like shame on them kind of thing. Shame shame on them. Edward Wood should walk through the streets of Manchester naked having stuff <laughs> thrown at him. I mean, I'd say Joel Glazer, but they never come to Old Trafford, so we never <laughs> yeah. they haven't been in Manchester for forever. So, honestly, just so disgusting so so much of the way this club is run. Yeah. Um and and like uh, just to change tack slightly. Uh, but it's related, I think. I mean, you see the celebrations after Leicester won the FA Cup yesterday. Yeah. And the owners involved and not in some kind of US sports, I want to grab hold of the trophy and lift it myself way. But the manager and the players wanted him there. And, you know, the yeah. the, the sense, or maybe it's more optics than, than I know, I don't know. But the sense that owner, manager, players and fans are all as one pointing in the Absolutely. same direction. Yeah, that I mean, club, that, and it yeah. just feels like a really well-run club, and and they're mm. a third of the budget of United. You know, I just mm. honestly, it's just wouldn't be that hard, would it, for for our owners to do the right thing? But they refuse all the time, and you know, and and I hate to say it, but it the reason why the women's team is neglected, even though the budgets in in women's football are tiny, there's a there's in theory a salary cap or a, it's a kind of budget cap, yeah. In theory, I say because um, it wouldn't work with Chelsea spending four hundred thousand on Peniel Harder to bring her in, or in fact United paying apparently like orders of magnitude more for Heath and Press in terms of their wages. So you know, anyway, it wouldn't. It's just not that much money to do this right. You know, it's it's the annual budget is probably two months of. David De Gea's wages, something like that, you know? Yeah. 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 Grim. Really, really grim. And uh, and it's things like this that are the reasons why United's ownership matters. Like, um, I, I get the people probably are... There are probably people who really don't enjoy the discourse around the ownership around Man United because they kind of just, you know, supporting United is about enjoying the football on the pitch and da-da-da-da-da. And obviously, like the owners have a bearing on the football on the pitch, clearly. Um, but it's just like, 
it means so much if the club stands for something. If the institution stands for something, you mentioned Leicester, it's a really good example. Like, um, Leicester fans, there's a group of fans that I've got like a, um, a sort of, they're not quite Stoke City, right? But they're in that, they're not, they're Stoke City adjacent for me, just because they're, every time I've ever heard them at Old Trafford, it's just endless. The, all the classic small time stuff, just like Leicester, your city is blue, all that. You know, you, that was the season they were winning the league. And you're like, what, what are you doing? You're winning the league, you idiots. Like, this is not going to happen to you again. Enjoy it. Anyway, but even with all that said, I had tears in my eyes at the end of that game. And this was partly because there were, um, there were uh, fans celebrating, which was we'll talk about a bit more on the backers' content, but was incredible uh, just in, its, in and of itself. But just seeing them all pull together them all kind of standing for something believing in something and achieving it you know um if you're not thinking holistically about this stuff if you're not thinking that that the kind of um the culture really matters and that you you can say all you want about ollie kind of doing a, a tremendous job kind of addressing the culture of the team the first team which he clearly has um, the culture of the club is rotten in spite of loads of people who are incredibly dedicated to the culture of Man United, who work at Man United, who must be like hating what they see from the owners and must be endlessly frustrated by the way budgets are, you know, constrained and pennies are pinched and all that kind of stuff. It just it would be very, very, very nice um, to have an ownership model which had uh, fans' interests at the heart of it. It would. Um, and that's what the protest's all about, despite what Graham Sunez says. Anyway, should we take a quick break and then we can sure. talk about football in the week to come or next few yeah, days or however many days we I did like, honestly. And all blends Alex into Ferguson. One. And Alex Ferguson. Well, I want document. to talk a bit about Alex Ferguson. So, um, I, the one really nice thing, I mean, I'm really excited about this Fergie film. I think it's going to be very interesting and uh, apparently quite a sort of, uh, well, an extremely personal take. It's a film directed by his son and I'm I'm fascinated to see it from the kind of the human angle. Um, but one of the best things about it coming out is just there's been just Fergie's been everywhere. There's an 18 minute interview, which you can see if you're in the UK or have uh, VPN options on iPlayer. Um, Alex Ferguson is called like Alex Ferguson and family, football and family. And then a brilliant um, interview with him and Jason Ferguson by Donald McRae in The Guardian. Um, and... Yeah, so it's just been a lot of Fergie chat and, you know, him talking about his recovery from his brain hemorrhage and uh, some very moving stuff around, you know, the sacrifice that uh, his family made for him to have the success that he's had. Um, yeah. yeah, very, very interesting. Lots of praise for Marcus Rashford's uh, uh, social agenda and especially he, he kind of drew attention to the fact that um, as well as the kind of remarkable stuff that Rashford's achieved off the pitch, he's uh, retained the same kind of down-to-earth attitude on the pitch, which I think is, you know, very good. Yeah, in that BBC that, interview, he, um, he calls, yeah, calls out Rashford and said, yeah, he called him straight away. Uh, and, I mean, you know, and he talks about his activism, Fergie's personal activism. 
organizing a player's strike at one point and his dad was an apprentice's uh, strike in the apprentices dot workers strike. for the dot yeah. workers um so yeah uh it's gonna be a fascinating film um obviously it's going to be a bit hagiographic i think um directed by his son um and uh but yeah it, it, that's it's, it'll be wonderful um to relive relive the the great moments uh apparently this sort of, it builds up to the 99 final as it's uh sort of denouement so hell, hell of a like it's really useful if you're making a documentary about something united related it's a hell of a denouement to have they did it with the the class of 92 film as well yes, didn't they, they? Did. it's like it, 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 you can't really, you can't stick it in the middle can you <laughs> no but but like if you're gonna have a real life sporting denouement you'd be absolutely buzzing to have that to work with if you were a filmmaker wouldn't you yeah I mean, look, unsurprisingly, I don't think it's going to touch on any of the more um, difficult aspects uh, of Ferguson's time um, at United. He has refused to take questions um, about the um, about the ownership. Um, he wasn't going to talk about the Super League. I mean, I think it's... Is it in that McRae piece or the... Dan Roman's McRae talk, piece. Dan Roman's talking about it on Twitter as, as well, saying what was in and what was out, and he's sort of very... Um, you know, he frames the question about the Super League in terms of in terms of the Champions League and what it means to him. So he got sort of partial answer, which was basically it was a terrible, terrible idea. Um, but he's not going to cover fan protests. He he never has um, in all his years working under the Glazers. Mm. Um, he he won't even address it. Which, like in the context of praise for Marcus Rashford's social action and talking about the apprentices' strike, you know, like he's obviously he talks about being open, honest, and reflecting on a career right so there's some introspection there um so there is a he's not blind to what's happening and he's not blind to why supporters are angry with the owners he just doesn't want to talk about it he just won't and i don't know the answer why because at one stage i'd have said well he's on the payroll but he's not uh, so i don't know what it is yeah i mean i you know he I don't know. I think he is, a, in a way, he has a kind of very deep, loyal streak, in a way. Although that was clearly uh, somewhat one way with some of his players. Um, if if they didn't fit the bill of what he believed uh, they should do for him. Um, but there's... Uh, so I think there's, it's partly that kind of... You know, he said it in his book, didn't he? Is, is that terrible 2013 book that, you know, he was much better remunerated after the Glazers came along. It was the only time he ever felt like he was getting uh, the the kind of level of pay that he deserved for the job that he was doing. Um, and that probably went a long way with him. You know, just not, I don't even mean it in a in a particularly greedy way, just in a in an ego way, you know, to, to feel like you were being paid what you were worth to, to the club. Um, I think. They weren't paying him enough, <laughs> like in terms of what he was actually in worth. Terms of what he made for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. There's enough money in football to pay Ferguson what he's worth as a football manager. Um, so I think maybe it's partly that, and uh, and maybe it's partly wanting a relatively quiet life, and maybe it's partly not wanting to open the door of his own culpability in the whole shoddy story. Yeah. Um, I think all of that is probably fair analysis, uh, but it is a big hole in this, and um, I guess that's for other people to to discuss and analyze. Because I, I'm, um, you know, let's hope he lives very many more years, but uh, 
when he is, um, you know, when he finally goes to his grave, I doubt he will ever address this. But um, yeah. yeah, and you know what? Like nobody's perfect, right? This is this is the, the good outweighs the bad considerably in terms of his impact on Manchester United, right? That's you know, and and his abilities as a, a manager and you know his kind of his greatness within the field of sport. You know, he's one of the, well, he's the all-time great football manager in the history of the sport, you know. So, yeah. Alrighty, uh, not a lot to say about two games coming up. We sort of mentioned them. Fulham on Tuesday, I presume it's going to be a fairly strong side. He's going to, like, this is full whack both games, right? Maybe he, he, if we're, if the kind of league situation or whatever it might be is wrapped up by the Wolves game, like you said, um, we're guaranteed second if we beat Fulham. I think that's right. I think that's right. I don't think anyone can get to so sixty. Um, let, let's. I'm just going to look at the league table. You know, so we've got points. seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leicester can't get to more than seventy-two. So great. So if we win against Fulham, then I, I, I imagine he'll do the absolute maximum rotation he can. He'll go full Mourinho against Palace when, um, when you, well, he really could play all the kids. That was the game that, uh, no, I don't think that was the game that Angel Gomez came on. It was the game that um, a young lad whose name completely escapes me scored right near the beginning of the game uh, against Palace. Paul Pogba played 45 minutes yes. in that game. C- can't remember. Not the club anymore. Anyway, no. Most of the players yeah. aren't, so... Uh, yeah, I'm sure be a, a mega rotation against Wolves uh, if he can, and then then we'll talk before the Villarreal game, right? So yeah, of course we will. Yeah, um, all building up to that, I guess the focus entirely on on um, in in terms of their training periodization, how much load they're going to get uh, will be on yeah. that. Uh, Harry Maguire won't play in any either of these games coming up. Ankle ligament damage. Chance of him playing against Villarreal. See, I just, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. You, you can't have a, a half fit central defender against. I mean, Villarreal. They're Moreno they're not up front. a bad side. Top quality striker. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. I mean, we'll talk more about we'll talk more about that uh, closer to the time. But um, yeah, I'm going to say that the, the we're definitely going to see Rashford and uh, Fernandez, who are the kind of the key rotation figures um, in the side. Uh, um, we're going to see them and Luke Shaw uh, and Paul Pogba in this game. Yeah, uh, probably. Yeah. I hope he doesn't play McFred. I hope he tries he, I hope he tries to play Pogba and either one of them, much of a muchness. Um, I hope he tries to do that in both of these games to try and build some kind of understanding in, in the, the, the midfield so he can play Pogba, Greenwood, Rashford, Fernandez, and Cavani. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked, but you know, oh, you never know. So bad. It's so it's so dumb and bad because, like, yeah, McFred, it's compromises all any, over they, the place. Yeah. They don't add stability. They add like sometimes they add stability. They're either going to add stability or at least one goal to the opposition. Like those are your two choices. Um, I mean, I know it's not like playing Pogba in deep line positions doesn't have its own problematic aspects because of course it does. I mean, you know, he was massively responsible for that, for one of those three goals. Um, As he, you know, it was as bad as what Fred did almost to commit a completely unnecessary foul and then ignore your man. Like that's, that's really, really poor. Um, But anyway, uh, yeah, I'd like to see uh, a progressive 
a progressive midfield uh, in both of these games with a view to trying it against Villarreal. That's that's my dream scenario. But dream, sure I, I, I don't think it'll happen. I, I think what we'll get is Pogba on the left in the final. This is my guess yeah. right now. Cavani's up front. Yeah, um, if he's fit, it's definitely going to happen. Pogba left, Rashford right. Not a good position for Marcus Rashford. This one. Why? Do, I mean, why wouldn't you play the player who's good there instead of the player who's not so good there? Yes, because he's not going to leave Rashford out um, because he can do, as he did against Liverpool, he scored a great goal. Yeah. Um, and so the the choice is to do what you're saying, which is play Pogba deeper. Uh, yeah. And he, does, but, he doesn't trust his central defenders and he doesn't trust his midfield. But I'm saying if you don't play Pogba deeper, you leave Rashford out and play Greenwood and bring Rashford on. You know, bring Rashford on on the left late in the game. Not late in the game, yeah. but, you know, I don't think half any an of that's happened. I think we know what's going to happen. Anyway, we'll, we'll do a proper preview after the yeah. Wolves game, yeah. see if we have any indicators at all. Hey, I just wanted to say I got an extremely nice message from um, a chap called Anthony Phillips. I want to shout him out for uh, a lovely message and uh, thank you very much. And thank you to everybody who's continued to support the show and has continued to listen as we've sort of descended into repetitious, boring nonsense as the football's descended into... And it's been... I mean, I can't wait to do the season season review show because it's been such a wacky season. It's had some real highs and and a few proper lows and an awful lot of weirdly turgid middle <laughs> like that's been has been has been a lot of that and and I have to say we'll talk about it more for patron backers in just a minute but um watching that FA Cup final all I want for next season is for it to be the right thing to do to have significant numbers of fans in those stadiums because uh, you know, that big banner that says football without the fans is nothing. It, in some ways, particularly in the early phases of the of the pandemic, when Premier League first returned, it was such a tonic to have just something to do and some sort of, you know, entertainment and something new and not being watching old games. And, you know, all of that was really nice. But football without fans is nothing. Like, it feels so pointless so much of the time um and yeah so here's hoping for significant numbers of fans next season all right well we'll be back after the fulham and wolves games and have a great week everyone yeah take care of yourselves